0: Hi everybody, this is Fox Nomad and today I want to help you travel smarter. Welcome to the first episode of the Fox Nomad Travel Smarter Podcast. Yes, I am also doing a podcast like a jillion other people. So why am I doing a podcast is going to be the first topic that we get to today. The second one is going to be travel bloggers going to controversial destinations. Then we're going to talk about some of the best gifts and some of the best travel tech of 2019 Then I want to talk a little bit about Edinburgh and Scotland and whether or not I've become sort of jaded to certain touristic destinations. So let's start out with the first one, why a podcast? So like anything that I do on Fox Nomad, on YouTube, whenever I write or say something, I try to make it with the goal to help somebody else travel smarter. I do it so that I can hopefully help you travel smarter as well. There are a lot of topics that I can't really deep dive into on the blog and there are a lot of situations that I can't really show easily on YouTube and a lot of people were asking me to do a podcast so I figured why not I'd give it a try. I've always wanted to do a podcast. I've actually been planning one for the last about three years almost and I've done it with a couple of other different partners, a couple of different topics as well and what always ended up happening is we would just want to do a podcast so we'd record a couple of test podcasts now that's not usually the way that i go about things i'd rather just put it out there and then work on the fly and try to improve on the fly but we recorded a whole bunch of these test podcasts now i mean there must be 15 recorded with video audio somewhere on somebody's hard drive and they never saw the light of day I think it's because we kept trying to perfect things. We kept trying to make things better and better. And it never really worked. It never really happened because we were too busy in the preparation phase and we never got to the actual putting it out phase. And so I decided this is in the middle of the holiday season when everybody's busy and traveling. I figured if this is ever going to happen, I might as well give it a shot now. And so thank you for sticking with me and uh, listening at least this far. So I appreciate that. I wanted to do a podcast because there are a lot of stories that people ask me about. There's a lot of random things that happen to me and they never find a good place on the blog. And I can really go deeply into topics that I talk about on the blog or the videos that come up on YouTube. I can really go more into those. As far as how long these podcasts are going to be, I don't really have a good feel of that quite yet. But I feel like going to fall into sort of a natural flow for the podcast pretty soon after a couple of episodes that I don't really have an idea of quite how long they're going to be. Also don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to try to edit these as little as possible. So <laughs> I'm going to try to edit them as little as possible just for my workflow. And speaking of workflow, there's going to be no video right now at least of the podcast and the reason is is mainly because I figured that I'm going to be traveling a lot at least on many of these episodes. So I'm going to be filming these in remote locations a lot, and I'm not going to have the opportunity to set up a decent video, at least, you know, nothing that's going to be worth watching at least. So lighting changes, sound, all kinds of things. So for now, it's just going to be audio only, but I'm working on a video solution. But again, because I travel so frequently, I'm literally travel probably at least once or twice a month at this point um it's going to be a little bit difficult to sort of work on a video component and I also want to get this audio component working better figure out how how to actually do a podcast so there you go this is the first episode of the first fox nomad travel smarter podcast and um we're in it and it, as i'm talking right now i'm wondering like Normally in a video, so when you do a YouTube video, uh, I normally, you know, record about four times amount, four times the amount of video that actually ever makes it of my face. Like So any of the A-roll, any of the me talking, almost always there's about four to five times as much actual video as ever makes it on to the video itself. And that's because I mess up very frequently a lot. And with this podcast, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to save myself a little bit of time with editing and trying not to just try to go with the flow. So hopefully that works out pretty well. But uh, there you go. There's a cough that uh, I'm going to try to edit out. Maybe not. So let's jump right into the first topic. And this is something that came up in my Facebook feed. Uh, I follow a lot of travel bloggers. And this is something that came up twice actually sort of in a close succession and then there was this article on the Daily Beast that I want to talk about and it's travel bloggers going to controversial destinations. So let me start out here. So I have two travel bloggers that have done some interesting stuff. Um, they One is running tours in Syria and when I say Syria it's Damascus. You can't really go to too many places in Syria and it caused a lot of controversy. The, the, the comments on this post are just insane so this travel blogger is running uh, a couple of tours in different places um, and Syria is one of them and I'm just going to pull up the image here and I think when I saw it um, I think that the the post I don't I don't know if I should call people out it's really not kind of my style it's really not what I want to do here but there were these these photos from this tour to Damascus and the first one that jumped out at me is everybody in the tour group is standing beneath a sign that says Syria and a huge poster of Bashar al-Assad and they're giving the thumbs up sign. Now to me, that just seems wrong. I mean, I don't know how else to put that. It just seems very, at least ignorant, uh, in the sense that you're really um, disregarding both uh, what a brutal dictator Bashar al-Assad is and you're also neglecting really the 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 whole situation that's going on in the country I mean the the basically there are something like four six hundred thousand people that have this been displaced or killed in the last even just two years and so there are all these horrible things going on and I'm not against um, going to places so I'm not against traveling to places I mean I've clearly been to places that are run by dictators I mean all governments, essentially have do bad things right so people who are in power governments are just people in power and so we all know that saying that power corrupts uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely and people with power tend to be corrupt so no matter how good a government is they invariably do bad things now that is not to say that you can compare let's say the government of sweden or finland to the government of syria they're not the same thing but my point is that as a person who wants to travel i I genuinely believe that you should go to the places that you want to travel you want to go see those places because in my experience when i go to a place so many times the people are the i mean the people are always the best part and you can go to a place and then you you meet the people and They're not like government, they're people, they're normal people. Government means something, a group of people that are in power. The regular people aren't usually, I mean, it's not like you're talking to some distant entity, they're just normal people. People around the world pretty much have the same goals and hopes and dreams. And fortunately, most people around the world are really good. So I think that if you're going to go to a place like North Korea, even, I think Even though you are being given a very, very, very... In that situation... You're being given a very uh, curated view of the country. I think even seeing that gives you some insight. And I think for the people there, having visitors come... Also gives them some insight. I think keeping people separate uh, is never really a good thing. I think the more people mix... And even as... Um, even in such controlled situations as that, as that I think it only benefits uh, groups of people over time. So, having said all of that, uh, I'm not going to negate anything I just said. But I think the 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 controversy here, which is something that the Daily Beast brought up, and another travel blogger I follow also brought up. So, I'm going to bring up what, what she said, um, and that was about going to Saudi Arabia. So. She was invited by the country to go to Saudi Arabia by the tourism board. Said she wouldn't do it, um, and that you know if she was gonna go to Saudi Arabia, she'd, she she th- she'd have to really closely consider it because of her feelings about the regime. And I think as a travel blogger, I think that's a, a fair assessment. I mean, we we do that for everywhere we go, right? I mean, all of us, all travelers do that. There are some places that you really want to go, but you maybe wouldn't because of Either the political situation, or because of your feelings about the government, and so on. I think, as a personally, as a as a travel blogger, as somebody who goes to places, really both to see them for myself, but also to share them with other people. I think, for me, there's there are places that are not off limits. Um, there, I would pretty much go anywhere. Uh, but working with the government, I think is maybe the line that, that, that is a smart line to be drawn. So uh, we're talking about, for example, Saudi Arabia. Um, but, you know, I think you can make the case. I think those are lines that are somewhat objective. I'm sorry, subjective. Yeah. Basically, you can draw that line with a lot a lot of countries. And I'm talking about Western countries. Uh, you, you know, you can draw that line and say, well, I wouldn't work with the government because they've done X, Y and Z. And I think... Um, A lot of Western governments, a lot, um, you know, you can look back at their histories, both present, recent history and not so recent history and say, well, by going to those places. So by going to a country, for example, that's a former colony, right? So are you going, uh, are you supporting that history? Uh, if you go to the country that colonized that country, are you supporting colonization colonialism I don't know I don't think so I mean I don't I don't think so and I think um, working with governments is one thing but I think the other thing is actually going to a place and seeing it and as a travel blogger I think that you know it's part of the job description to go to places and to show people a side of a place uh, that they wouldn't otherwise see And I think my problem with the Syria tour, especially in this case of this one blogger who who wrote some things that I feel like I don't agree with. So I think in terms of a tour, I think what you're doing, and I know when people who run tours, I know when they show the photos of tours on social media, when they show them on uh, Facebook or whatever, I know they're doing that ultimately with the goal to sell more tours. Now, that's not a bad thing, um, but they're going to show when people are happy, they're going to take group photos, uh, usually in front of monumental stuff. Hey, I'm running a tour to India. Here's my Taj Mahal photo with everybody looking so happy, even though it's four in the, you know, if they got up at four in the morning to get in, probably, you know, had to like dodge monkeys or whatever. I'm ki- I'm kidding. I'm not, not really if you've been to Taj Mahal. Anyway. So I know that that's what people have to do. And I think in the case of this Syria tour, uh, I'm just going to say, this is uh, uh, Johnny Ward. So he has a blog, One Step Forward. Um, So I think the problem is in these kind of pictures, I think what you're basically showing, and I know that you're trying to promote your tour, and I understand that. But I think having your tour group under a huge poster of Bashar al-Assad With a thumbs up sign Like everybody Looking happy I think is really Missing The bigger picture And I don't think You can go to a place Like Syria And you're really not Like I said These are not Syria tours These people are going To Damascus Damascus is like A little island Of Somewhat stability In a country That is essentially been Destroyed Right So I think you have to say that And I think that um, having all of these people take that photo is really disrespectful to all of the people who have been involved in the conflict. And I also think it's it's not. And I think as a travel blogger, what I'm trying to say is, you're also not really giving the full picture at all. And when I, you're 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 giving a tiny slice of the picture. I mean, to say that Damascus is the oldest city in the world, yeah, that's good. In 2010, Syria had more tourists than the Philippines. That is probably true. I wouldn't doubt that. Syria is historically a secular country. This is also true. Meaning the Damascus bar scene is popping. All right. The the bar scene is popping. I I honestly have to say that, I mean, there are a couple of other things that are happening in Syria right now that have been happening uh, for the last several years. And they're not about the bar scene. I don't necessarily know that it's not a good idea or it's wrong to run tours in Syria. I don't really know. It's not something I would do. I don't really have an interest in running tours um, with the occasional uh, in Istanbul or whatever. But I don't think, you know, I don't know if it's it's wrong to run a tour in Syria. I, I don't. I don't think they're working with the government, but I can't imagine that they're not at some level having to work with official authorities to run a tour in Syria. So, it's possible that that photo, that they had to take that photo. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had to take a picture like this. Maybe, you know, when you go to Syria, you have to have a handler in most cases because tribal bloggers and people have done dumb stuff. They've gone where they shouldn't. They've taken pictures where they shouldn't. And they've ended up arrested. Now, for a country like Syria, where the government is just doing its best to promote its best side I mean they want to make things look like things are normal so they don't want people getting arrested but they also don't want people showing what's really going on so now in almost all cases you have to have a handler when you're there apparently according to this article in the Daily Beast so maybe these photos that they were taken you know they had to take the photos now did one step forward did that blog have to post those photos no no And I think that if you're running say I think the conflict is if you're running tours in Syria you can't really talk about what's going on because then you're not going to be able to run your tours anymore I mean like if I did a tour in Syria and I was you know showing what's really happening there I'm pretty sure the government would shut that down if they found out about it so what would I do if my main goal was to make money with a tour I would try to give the best face to the Syrian government as I could. And I think that's just a little bit disingenuous. So that's my take on it. Um, I did want to talk just really quickly about this Daily Beast article. It says, Syria faces new foreign invasion travel bloggers. And then the, the subtitle is, let me take a selfie. All right. So this article was kind of interesting. It was just a little bit you know, you know, it's a little bit clickbaity to be honest. So it talks about Eva Zubek, a 28-year-old vlogger from Poland, with a social media following, sponsorship deal with Samsung, so on and so on. And she placed posted this video, and I I watched the video. And it it says in quotes in the article, "People here are really kind and really really generous." She raves in the video, now watched more than half a million times. She samples old world delights, Hole in the wall bakery. So on and so on. And then... Um, let's see. She wears a... Kefien, the style of Syrian flag... Draped around her neck. Alright. And then it goes into her... Into her background. And... She says... I've been to other places that potentially... You could say have viral potential... Or whatever you want to call it. Names Northern Iraq and Yemen as well. I have been to, I have been to both places also. Um... And just pointing that out because, you know, I'm not on some high horse or whatever. Um, And then it said, I went to Syria because I'm personally interested in the country. Having met Syrians who told her about their homeland and that they can't visit. She said, I was thinking, I wasn't thinking about YouTube views or anything like that. Which, you know, I can believe. I think as a travel blogger and vlogger, when we go places, a lot of times the spark is I want to go... Because there's something that interests me. And also, I can probably make a YouTube video or four about it. And I can write about it. And I don't think that's there's anything wrong with it. I mean, that's the job, right? Like, if you're travel blogging or vlogging or a YouTuber, that's your job. Like, you can't... I mean, you could, I suppose, go to Syria and not mention it at all. But you're really not doing the best job at your job as you could do, right? Like, I don't know, if there was some corporate you know event that you were invited to and then you kept skipping all these events or meetings or whatever uh it's a bad example but but you see what i mean so i understand that a lot of times i really just want to go to a place but always in the back of my head always i have what am i gonna write about and that leads me to my research so what am i gonna write about what youtube videos what videos can i make so what that will be is all right I have these ideas. Now let me do some more research. Maybe I'll get some more ideas. And I kind of plan my trip around that. So I understand what she's saying. And I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The article also mentions here that 400,000 people have been killed in Syria as of April 2016, according to the United Nations when they stopped counting one month before. Um, They, the UN, accused the Syrian government of carrying out a policy of terror, barrel bombs, sarin, and chlorine gas that amounts to the crime of extermination. Many of the 259,000 people who worked in tourism in 2010 are all dead or in exile and had to find other work. So this article talks about um, people that they've talked to in Damascus about the tourists coming. And most of them are fairly positive. And I would also add that they probably... I'm not, I'm not saying that what they're saying is not true but I, I also think that you have to take it with this huge grain of salt in that that these people cannot talk freely even if they're if they're pro-government sure but if they're not or if they have any any kind of even just mild criticism right like none of us are pro really or against a 100% everything I mean a government you know in, 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 in these things are complicated right these things, There's no, I mean, they might be happy with certain things. They might be unhappy with other things. and They may be justifying it or rationalizing things in certain ways. And I think that that level of gray is important. They may not be able to say things, even if they are minor. They may not be able to say completely to the Daily Beast, um, which is going to be read. They may not be able to say what they really think. And I think that's another thing to keep in mind. So going uh, further in this article, um, it, you know, it talks about today's visitors are different than those who came before the war when Syria was repressed, but enjoying a false peace. Quote, most of them are young people educated. Uh, this is important because those people will be our ambassadors to the outside. He says, most people are happy to fill that role. They boast of their adventures. Um, Yada yada, and then it says in Damascus, what's long been a police state has long been militarized. There's a checkpoint on every corner. Joan Townsend Torres, a 31-year-old Spaniard who visited in 2018 and has authored a guide for those who wish to follow in his footsteps, there are other mi- military installations. He recalled that make traditional and tourist activities like stamping a foot of everything, and then more risky things, uh, especially in a locale that associates photography with journalism, with subversion. So I think looking at these articles, um, you know, pretty much said what I what I think about these things. I think that um, as a travel blogger or vlogger or whatever, I think that going to a place doesn't necessarily legitimize um, that place's government or policies or whatever it may be. I think that... Um, that it depends on how you portray it, really. And I think that it's how you write about it. I I, I don't know if you're, a, if you're a YouTuber and you go and you just talk to people on the street in, in Damascus um, and everybody's positive, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't been, so I can't really say. I mean, I think when you go to a place, you really get a different feel and a different vibe. And I think that it's also important to note that governments generally like influencers going to a place because they generally give a positive review especially if they get any kind of compensation if they get any kind of compensation then that's that's a good line to draw I i would say if you're going to a place like you know damascus or certain other questionable places i think if you're getting government sponsorship then i think that your opinions are probably compromised there but i think if you're going as an independent travel blogger vlogger whatever uh, I think that you can speak freely. I think that you should give the full context. You should see what you, you should show what you saw. I think that's important. Um, I think you should talk to the people, show and tell their stories. And I also think that you know you can do your own research. Um, there's plenty of information out there, and I think in that context, you should also include that as well. Let me know what you think about this. I, I'd love to hear from you. Um, this is sort of my first. Uh, podcast rant on a very uh, I think a big topic so anyway, uh, feel free to tweet at me at Fox Nomad. let me know your thoughts on this, are there places that you would or you wouldn't go because of the government or any other uh, reason politically, let me know, you can tweet at me and on that we are now going to switch over into a little bit less uh, heavy topic so we're going to go into the best gifts and the best travel tech of late 2019. Alright, so welcome back. I'm just putting in, you know, I'm putting in these little uh, sort of musical, uh, just couple second spots there just to sort of give your brain a break. It also gives me a time to take a sip of coffee or tea and whatever. uh, Maybe that, let me know if you don't like those, basically is what I'm saying. Alright, so we're going into the best travel tech. Now, I just posted a video on the 2015, mid-2015 MacBook Pro, which is the MacBook that I use. It's pretty specced out. Um, It's a great laptop. I don't need to upgrade it. I always travel with a 15-inch laptop. I like having a bigger screen. It's the thing I stare at the most during the day. And once once you have a bigger screen, especially when you're editing YouTube videos um, using Final Cut, I like having the bigger screen. I realize most travelers prefer the smaller 13-inch screen, but if you are in the big laptop club and you are a MacBook person, you're a Mac Apple person. And I'm not committed. I'm not committed to Apple. I'm just saying, if you're on that fence, you know that the 2016 uh, MacBook Pro bad, 17 bad, 18 bad, early 2019 bad. Lots of problems. With the keyboard. Especially it was a disaster, but also the touch bar had issues, the popping of the speakers. It's had, it's not been like it was in the past. You could get an Apple product and you could be pretty confident that, all right, I'm going to buy something that's going to last a long time. It's going to have good resale value. It's going to be a reliable and durable product because when you travel a lot, you are really like putting your travel gear to the test. Yeah, and traveling with electronics ages those electronics more quickly because you're taking your laptop, you're closing the lid, opening the lid, you're putting it into a backpack, and you're traveling around with it, you're throwing it in overhead bin, taking it out in airport security, or whatever. The more you use, uh, the more you use a product when you're traveling is the you know, so the more you travel with the product, the faster it wears out. So you want your gears to be very durable. And for the last four years, it's really difficult to say that about Apple, at least their MacBook Pro line. They've had a lot of issues. The butterfly keyboard can't be replaced. A grain of dust getting into the keyboard would destroy, you know, would have you not having keys that work. You know, when you're traveling, when you're away from home, when you're away from an Apple store, that's not something that you want to deal with. And the and 19 was not looking good either until about a month ago when Apple released the 16 inch MacBook Pro. Now what caught my attention first of all was the 16 inch screen. The actual laptop is not much bigger than the 2015 that came sorry, the laptop the 16 inch laptop is not much bigger than the MacBook Pro that came out earlier in 2009 earlier this year. It's not that much bigger, they've just basically reduced the bezel. So the the black bars around the screen, they've kind of reduced those so that the actual viewable screen size is larger. And because of that, you get this large screen, which I like in the same form factor, which is great. So this laptop will fit into if you have a a laptop sleeve, MacBook Pro sleeve for your 15-inch, it will fit, it will still fit. It's a little bit heavier. But it's basically the same form factor, and it is a beast of a machine. I mean, if you look at the specs, if you look at the thermals, so they made by making the laptop enclosure just a little bit bigger, it means that there's more room for air. More air means more cooling, means that they don't have to throttle down the CPU. And what that means is what Apple had been doing in the past was because when the laptop starts to get hot, laptops, when they computers in general when they process information they get hot when they get hot they become less efficient and they become it becomes the heat becomes a real issue and heat can destroy components very quickly so that's why you have fans in your computer or in your laptop now the problem with the macbook pros especially the recent ones is when they get very hot because the case is not very big they don't have a lot of good airflow so to combat the potential damage that would be caused by an overheating CPU, what Apple did was called throttling, which means that they basically sort of capped the maximum speed of the, the processor when it was working. So let's say you have a 2. you know 4 gigahertz uh, processor. When the laptop started to get hot, when the temperature started to go up, they kicked the fans on, obviously. The fans were limited in how much they can cool the chip. So what Apple's solution was was to just slow down the chip, just make it make things run slower. And that's not good. I mean you're paying a lot of money for those that processing power. So in the new 16-inch MacBook Pro, Apple has made a larger case, so a larger enclosure, which means better thermals. They still do throttle the I've still seen people doing tests on YouTube and they still do throttle that chip, but it's not quite as bad. It doesn't happen quite as often because the Uh, the chip is not heating up as much so it's a really nice looking laptop and not to mention that they fixed the issue with the keyboard so the keyboard is now going from what was called the butterfly keyboard to a scissor switch combo sort of uh, keyboard so if you've used a macbook pro anytime between 2000 you know before 2015 those keys have a lot of travel 2017 model for example had almost no travel it was a terrible keyboard, they had tons of issues with their butterfly keyboard but the 2019 is sort of an in-between it's not as much travel as 2015 and but it's more travel than uh, 2018 for example, which is good you type on a laptop if you type any amount at all, which most of us do but especially if you write any kind any documents with any frequency you want a keyboard that travels like it looks really cool to have a flat keyboard and typing on a screen and all that, but it's first of all it it hurts your fingers. So it can cause uh, the tenderness in the nerve endings in your fingers. It can cause a kind of advanced type of uh, uh, RSI, repetitive stress injury. Uh, it's better to have a keyboard with travel. It also feels nicer to have that tactile uh, input back from the keyboard, and it's also nice that if you you know if a if Uh, A piece of dust gets into the keyboard that uh, you know it doesn't destroy your $5,000 MacBook so they fixed a lot of the issues I've been looking at this laptop so I compared it recently with the 2015 MacBook Pro and I realized there's so many things about the 2015 MacBook Pro that I'm really 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 gonna miss in the 2019 MacBook Pro and that I wish Apple just wouldn't be so Apple so much Back in the day when they removed the, the DVD drive, I was I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? I, I burn CDs and DVDs all the time. And uh, yeah, so not an issue. And so Apple has a habit of getting rid of these things that we eventually just get used to because Apple can do it. And, and I think in the past, I think Apple had a vision. They could kind of see where things were going. Now what I think they're doing is, especially after Steve Jobs passed away, I think what they're doing is, all right. Uh, Steve got rid of stuff so let's keep getting rid of stuff and that's good or Steve made things like thinner and, and you know more sleek so let's just keep getting things thinner and thinner and thinner That's a problem with their iPhones like they keep making these things thinner but they don't have the best battery life like I think all of us would accept a thicker iPhone if it had decent battery you know better battery life if it could last three days without having to charge it I would take a millimeter thicker phone so I think Apple is kind of in this situation where they're playing the greatest hits. So they it's it's like trying to write, you know, Queen's greatest hits, but none of the band members are there. You're like, oh, okay. So they they, they put opera in a song. So let's do that, and uh, you know, let's 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 have our lead singer have a mustache. Like you're missing, sort of the the insight. I I I think that that, that Steve Jobs had. I, anyway. So I'm going on about that. And there are a couple of things about the 2015 that I really wish 2019 had. Like it, it's annoying because I am a Mac user. I do use Final Cut a lot for YouTube. Like I edit videos all the time. So I love Final Cut. So that that's kind of keeps me in the Mac ecosystem. And there's just a couple of things I'm gonna miss. First of all is the ports. So in the 2015 you've got an HDMI port, you've got which is very useful when you're traveling. So I carry an HDMI cable with me if the or the airbnb i'm staying at has a tv which most of them do at this point as a newer tv it's going to have an hdmi port so you can just plug in your laptop into the tv so if you want to watch something you can easily just instead of having to deal with whatever three you know foreign channels that they have i can just plug in my laptop into the tv which is much more convenient it's nice to have a bigger screen i don't have to watch my laptop yada yada so it's nice to have this hdmi port SD card. SD card is if you have a camera, if you take videos, if you take photos, SD card, I use it every day pretty much. Um, that's, That's something that I really, really, really wish that Apple would keep in the 2019 MacBook Pro. It's called Pro because that's supposed to stand for professional, but that term has really sort of lost its meaning now because they just put pro companies just put pro in everything because they know it just means premium basically at this point it doesn't mean professional what i think of when i think of a professional grade machine is i want all the ports because i'm going to be doing a bunch of work on this thing i'm going to really need it to answer all of my technical uh, problems without needing a dongle so you got all these ports you've got USB-A. you've got hdmi thunderbolt also got this little magnetic uh charger so you, when you you know plug in the charger you don't really plug in it. it just kind of magnetically sticks to your macbook and then if you trip over the cord you're not going to send your laptop flying off the desk because the the cord just pops off it's really convenient then the 16 inch macbook pro doesn't have any of that it's got four USB-C ports and honestly they could have probably fit six in there it does have a headphone port which is nice, I guess. But honestly, getting rid of the, the ports, uh, and I know I'm like four years late to this argument, but getting rid of, of the ports, the magnetic uh, charging cable, they all just sort of, uh, this, they're all such a bummer. I, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about making this upgrade. I think if you're at the 2015 MacBook Pro, and I think if you've, you've got a pretty powerful machine, uh, 2015 MacBook Pro, I think that's going to last you, like I said in the video, another two to three years solidly. If you're a heavy user, you're using Final Cut, you're editing videos and such, a programmer, that kind of thing, I think it's going to probably give you another good year of use um, and then it's going to start to lag, I think especially with the next version of um, with Mac OS. So those are my thoughts on the new MacBook Pro. Uh, check out the video. Let me know what you think uh, of the new MacBook Pro. I'm, I'm on the fence. I really want to give it six more months. I want to see how durable and how many issues come up with the new macbook pro uh it's already having issues with the the speakers popping and yes apple says it's just a software issue but um that laptop if you spec it out is is you know we're talking about four or five thousand dollars i don't want a software issue that glaring if i'm going to pay that much money Uh, i'm sorry Uh, you you know like uh, is it too much to ask that the the speakers don't pop every time you pause or start audio i mean that that's it's kind of a big deal it's not a minor bug and it's something that they should have caught in their quality control all right rant over with products that i wish were better here's something that i mentioned in my gift guide which is turned out to be very popular i don't know how i've lived without this thing for so long but these are basically a multi-charging usb cable now, if you haven't seen one of these i'll leave links in the show notes but It's basically you plug in one into USB and then on the end, it's got six. Sometimes you can get more connectors, but this one has six connectors. You've got micro USB, you've got a lightning cable, you've got, um, USB C, you've got all the different USB connectors. So you just need to plug in one USB, a port. You just need to plug one USB three side of it into something. And then you've got all these other connectors. So you don't need to carry around six different cables. You just carry around one. Plug it in once, and now you can charge all of your stuff. It's really, really handy. They come in two packs, um, and they're only about ten or twelve dollars. If you're shopping for a traveler, even if you're looking for, uh, you know, you're looking for something more expensive, these things are so useful. They make such a great gift. Um, it's something that I would highly recommend that you take a look at. It's a multi USB charging cable. I will also leave a link in the show notes to that. Um, And there's also a whole YouTube video I made about it also. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about Scotland. So I want to talk a little bit about, I posted a video on how to spend 48 hours in Edinburgh. Um, People will tell you it's Edinburgh, not Edinburgh or Edinburgh, which I say a lot. Uh, Edinburgh, that's how they pronounce it. So there's a little travel tip for you. Um, so anyway, so I, d- I did a, a, a video about the city, which I, I lived in a few years ago. And I love the city. I love Scotland. It's one of my favorite countries in the world. It's easily in the top three. Easily. And uh, the Scottish Highlands are are just one of the places I think every person, if they have the opportunity, should go, should go and visit. Um, so anyway, so I posted this video about how to spend 48 hours in Edinburgh. Um, and so... This is 48 hours on uh, what to do in the city. Uh, It's mostly the major touristic places and how to organize that 48 hours because the city is not very big. It's a pretty small city. You can walk across it really in 30 minutes. Um, The problem is there is the weather changes every 15 minutes. So you've got to really be careful with how you plan because if if you plan poorly, you're going to get caught in rain and you're going to be indoors when it's sunny. And then it's going to kind of throw off your 48-hour plan. So the way I I arrange it is I want to make sure that you get your uh, outdoor activities sort of earlier in your plans. And then kind of piece together your indoor plans so that you can kind of space it out. And and hopefully the timing works out for you. So you can do your outdoor stuff without rain. And then you can do your indoor stuff when it is probably raining. Because it does, like it rains a lot. But it can rain 10 times in one day. And also be sunny and beautiful weather also 10 times in one day i'm i'm not kidding so in that video i talked about the edinburgh castle and uh it's it's i kind of was a little bit dismissive of it um and somebody wrote me a very thoughtful comment on that video which i really appreciated it talked about the history about why it's uh scotland's most visited tourist attraction i said originally that you shouldn't go inside that you could go inside. Um, it's probably a, I, I would say it was gonna two hours inside. Uh, it's about the amount of time that will take you to really explore it, but that the main uh, benefit that you get from going in the castle are the views and you can get pretty much the same views from either side of the castle entrance without actually going in and spending time in the castle. There's also a museum called Atlas Obscura and, uh, that's very close. If you have kids, you should definitely go there. Um, it's it's an interactive museum. It's it's really cool. It's also near the castle. If you go up to the very top, of the roof, um, you also get very similar views as you get from the castle. I have been to a lot, a lot, a lot of castles, and I think I'm a little bit jaded on castles. So if you read this guy's comment, it's actually very thoughtful and well written, and talks about the history. It's very useful. Um, so actually, maybe just I'll just. Pull it up here, but I I, I think that it it kind of started to get me thinking. Like, is it possible to travel to too many um touristy things? And honestly, yeah, it probably is. I mean, when I go to a place talking about travel bloggers planning something out, I almost always go to the touristy things to check them out and potentially write about them because I know it's where a lot of people want to go, and a lot of you. I'm gonna to want to go to those places, so I might as well go and see what they're like. And oftentimes, I'm um, I'm surprised by, you know, I'm surprised by a place. So uh, it's kind of like going to a place. Um, you ever you ever notice how, you know, your your friends or your parents or people who are who give you the worst advice about a place is, don't go, don't go there, um, or this place is like this or this place is like that. They talk so definitively and almost always they've never been there that's that's just sort of a a thing Uh this is kind of like that so i want to go to a place so at least i can if i'm going to tell you if i'm going to be whatever about it at least i've been there and i can i have some first-hand experience um all right so so this comment let's see what this says um history is not for everyone all right i love history uh, it has 2 million visitors a year. It's been fortified for the last 3,000 years. It's set on a volcanic 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 plug four millions of years ago. This is the Edinburgh Castle. It is the most attacked castle in the UK. The oldest surviving building is, quote, only 900 years old. The castle's history is Scotland's history. King James I was born there in 1566. The oldest crown jewels in the UK were used as coronations. Every day they fire a gun at one o'clock that can be heard across the city, and in August for three weeks, a military tattoo is ha- tattoo. Is that right? Is held, which is seen by over 100 million TV viewers around the world. All right, the, the guy pumped me up about the castle. I didn't know all this stuff. I mean, really, you know, when I go to the castle, I just see um, the views are really nice from the castle. There is a war memorial there, which. I think is lovely the way it's set out, and there's also a really cute—can I use that term for m- memorial—a cute graveyard for the service dogs as well who have been lost um, fighting wars too. And I think I, I just that's that was my favorite part of the castle. Um, as far as like in, inside the castle, it's it's sort of like you know I'm in Istanbul now, and there's Topkapı Palace. It, you know, it's not very interesting. It's old castle, like castles. Yeah, they're not too interesting to me they all kind of start to look the same um they're, they're just stone walls and then there's not a lot going on inside of them except tourist, touristy things um, because those places are not actually in use as castles and you're not traveling back in time they lose something for me but um, if you saw my video maybe you want to check out that comment as well um, it's an interesting comment it might get you interested to go to the castle certainly made me more interested to learn about the history of the castle, but not necessarily go back to the castle. All right, and so for this final portion of the first Fox Nomad Travel Smarter podcast, there's something that I don't watch a ton of movies. I don't watch a lot of movies. But when I'm on a plane, I almost always watch at least one or two. Um, And they're usually movies that I would never watch otherwise. I would never just come across. But I did catch two movies that I want to talk about. The first movie actually went to the premiere a documentary uh, and that was the never surrender the galaxy quest documentary let me just say this if you've never seen galaxy quest maybe the best star trek movie ever maybe one of the best sci-fi movies ever it was actually one of the biggest movie producers in the world called it one of the four perfect films and one other film on that list was the godfather so that's giving you some context it's a great movie it's basically about a group of actors if you're going to put it in the star trek context let's do it that way so these are a group of actors their show is over and they're going to conventions they're not you know they're sort of out of their prime and they're not really working actors anymore they basically make a living off of going to conventions it's got tim allen it's got sigourney weaver it's got alan rickman sam rockwell it's got a great cast and you know they're all very funny uh in it and uh But what happens to start out the movie is a group of uh, aliens visit Earth because they're having some intergalactic trouble. And, you know, they visit these actors because they think the show that was broadcast in space, obviously, they think that the show was a historical record. And it just goes from there. The film is very funny. It's got a great heart as well. And it's also, I think, a very clever movie, too. So I highly recommend that you check out the documentary. I will leave a link in the show notes then I want to talk about this other movie that I would recommend that you watch on your next flight. It's on all the major airlines right now. And I've flown a whole bunch of major airlines recently and I've checked. It is on there. And that movie is called Yesterday. Um, essentially, the premise of the movie is uh, there's this struggling musician. And, you know, he's he's got a group of friends that go to his his uh, bar or his pub you know playing so there's only a couple of people watching him play his music is not very popular or very good um and one day he has an accident he falls off his bike something happens all the power around the world goes out and the first scene you know the one of the first scenes after that is he's uh, he's testing out a new guitar i think he gets a guitar as a gift and he starts playing yesterday you know you know you know yesterday so he starts playing yesterday, and I, what I love about this scene. So let me set this up for you. What I love about this scene is that um, he starts playing yesterday, and uh, the the actress uh, I can't I don't I, I'm really bad with names, and I didn't look it up. So um, her face, just that expression on her face, is so powerful, and it makes you realize um, how good and just how uh, moving the Beatles really. The music is and uh she's she starts kind of welling up and it's it's almost like pride and she's filled with this emotion She asks, guy, that's beautiful when did you write that or who's that about and, and the guy says uh it's yesterday you know the beatles and they all look confused all of his friends are confused he goes back home googles the beatles only the bug comes up essentially he lives in a world where whatever happened that night all the beatles music Stopped existing. He's the only one who remembers the Beatles and he's a musician. Um, so then he starts creating, recreating the Beatles music and it goes from there. What I like about the movie is that it doesn't spend, it has a lot of heart, it has a lot of good music. If you love the Beatles, you should absolutely watch this movie. It's great. Um, but also, it doesn't spend too much time on the actual mechanics of what's going on in other words you know it's not a sci-fi movie it's not something that's that's getting into the, why this event happened it doesn't really matter what matters is the story of this musician and his life and how it changes because he's the only guy in the world who knows the beatles music and he passes it off as his own music uh it's a great film it's really funny it's really cute uh it's very enjoyable so if you are flying anytime soon Obviously, you can download this probably on Netflix or whatever. But if you're flying, it's on all the major airlines right now. I would highly recommend that you check it out. Um, I'm always looking for a good movie to watch on my next flight. So if you have any recommendations, tweet at me at Fox Nomad. And uh, thanks very much for listening to this very first um, Fox Nomad podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback, how this can get better, um, what I can do differently and so on, it's it's a little bit, to be honest, intimidating to talk for this long without really editing the content. What I like about writing is I can really nail down what I wanna say. I mean, it's, it's, it's really like sculpting. You can chisel away, you can change words, you can even update a post after it's been published. YouTube is a little bit different. When you make a video, um, you've gotta be more concise, so I try to be as efficient with my words as possible. I try to cut that down. Um, but again, it's an edited thing and uh, it's a lot shorter and I don't just ramble on too much. Podcast is a little bit different, um, but hopefully it's, it's, uh, it's like us having a conversation and uh, I don't have a, a co-host. Maybe I'll have guests uh, in the future. And uh, hopefully with your feedback, this will all get a lot better and more useful for you on your travels. Thanks very much for listening. Tell your friends about it if you enjoyed it, and I will see you in the next podcast.